this is the, the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Aren't you glad to be in the house of the Lord this morning? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Well, what a joy it is to, uh, to stand before uh, the Lord's people and to get after what God will have us know, say, and do. God wrote a book. And so you don't need to hear anything that I have to say, but God has a lot to say. And why don't you meet me in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We will look at verses 1 through 11. And this is our spiritual entree this morning. And I pray that we would receive what God has to say. You know, last week uh, the text, um, Pastor Brett preached, very encouraging. And there's some great portions of scripture where we just rejoice. But then there's other portions where we used to say, ouch. Amen. We cannot grow by picking and choosing what we want to eat. We cannot grow by picking and choosing what we want to eat. God has spoken and he has not stuttered. And so this is a very sobering and very serious passage of scripture that I pray that every heart here would lean in carefully to what God has to say. And I've entitled today's message, Monday's coming. Monday's coming. Now, I'm from the South. I'm put a little, little Southern twang on that thing. Monday's are coming. Monday's are coming. Eternal God, we lean in. We lean in. We ask you, oh God, to feed us. Feed us from your scripture. Holy Spirit, convict us, empower us. We don't apologize for the truth of your word. We proclaim it without apology. But yet, Lord, I pray that you'll give me grace. May my tone be that of love and urgency because I too am a sinner in need of your grace. We love you, Lord, and we pray in this holy moment that you would speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Any NFL fans up in here? Amen, amen. All 10 of you, praise God. This time of year is extremely depressing for me because I'm like, there's no football to watch. I mean, I love watching legalized violence. Don't judge me, I'm just echoing what many hearts here like, like as well, amen? But in the NFL, most of the games are played on Sunday. Amen for Monday night football, amen for Thursday night football. Just gives us more to look at. But most of the games are played on Sunday. And every, every, every athlete, every player that takes the field wants to do their best to help the team win. So they game plan, they scheme, they, 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 they know their responsibility and they get after it to, to, to win the game on Sunday. But the players are not just playing to win the game on Sunday. They're playing in light of Monday. Monday is the day of accountability. Monday is the day where the coaches and the staff evaluate 
the win or the loss. They evaluate each position. They, 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 they zoom in. They study the film. And then they have to stand before and hold their players accountable for, you know, whether it's good or whether it's bad. Because every player is playing in light of Monday. I had a friend of mine who used to play in the NFL. And he always said, he says, hey, man, I knew that outstanding hit I put on that, that running back. I, I, I celebrated not just because I made the play, because I knew it was going to be on tape on Monday. But then I also knew that missed block, that missed assignment, I was going to give an account for. Ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this to us, and I say this with utter urgency. Life is moving and going somewhere. We just don't just exist just because. It's not some kiss in the wind and hope things work out. We all are headed towards an appointment with God. And you really want to be sober about this? We're closer to that appointment now than when service first started. The day of accountability is upon us, and it's so easy, and I'm guilty of this. It's so easy to get lost in the hustle and bustle of life. It's so easy to get lost in this challenge and this thing at work or this family crisis. And yes, those things are important, and we should deal with those things with care, but let's not get it twisted. We don't live for today. God is expecting every one of us to live in light of Monday. And as I said a few minutes ago, previous section of scripture is a beautiful passage because it talks about Jesus rapturing his church. I mean, that's hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. That's some good old-fashioned preaching right there. But now we come to a sobering text of scripture where it's aimed at the person that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But it also has implications for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And if you'd like to take notes this morning, I like to summarize what I'm saying in a sentence. I like to call it a big idea. You can call it a spoke on the wheel, the message in a sentence, the key biblical truth. Here's what I, I want us to, to hang our thoughts on based upon what Paul is saying here. Here's what Paul is saying. Don't live for the moment. Live in light of his coming. Let me say it again. Don't live for the moment. Live in light of his coming. What then does it mean for us to live in light of Monday? (laughs) To live in light of his coming? You ask great questions at 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning. What does this look like? Let me give you three, three main challenges Paul gives us in this text that will help us to not live in the moment, but to live in light of his coming. Number one, know it. Know it. Judgment day is coming. Verse 1 in chapter 5, Paul says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything or anything written to you. One version says times and dates. Uh, The Thessalonians wanted to know, hey, 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 when's the point and when's the period of time when, when, when Jesus would come back and judge the world? Let me know so I can be ready. Now, this isn't foreign to Scripture because in Acts chapter 1, the disciples, they're, they're standing before the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, and they're like, oh, man, this is, this is great, man. You're back from the dead. Oh, man, when are you coming back to set it all straight, Lord? 
And Jesus says in Acts 1 verse 7, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Run away from these bootleg, shallow, corny, lame teachers and preachers that have some, some calendar date to tell you when this is all going to happen. Come on now. No man knows. And if you really want your head to explode, even Jesus said, not even the Son of Man knows. That's why Paul says... You have no need to have anything written to you. In other words, we, we've talked to you this before when we were there with you, and you're not going to know it now. You're not going to know it in the future. No man knows. And here's why we cannot know the time and seasons. Verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, I love this, will come like a thief in the night. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't get anything else that I say, underline that phrase, highlight it in your, in your tablet. Everything else hinges upon this phrase for the rest of this message. The day of the Lord. What does this mean? What does this mean? There's many definitions, but I was really, really encouraged and challenged by reading what one scholar says. Look at it on the screen with me. Listen to this. The day of the Lord is a well-known phrase throughout the Bible. And without exception refers to God's judgment of and defeat of his adversaries, including those who claim to be his people but really are not. Together with judgment, the phrase sometimes also includes the notion of deliverance for God's people. Christ Jesus will come not only to raise his own people from the dead, that's 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 18, but also to judge his antagonists. Those are the unbelievers. Now, some noted prophets who spoke of this day is the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Joel, the prophet Zephaniah, the prophet Jeremiah, the prophet Malachi, the prophet Amos. Bottom line, here it is. The day of the Lord is a day of reckoning. It's a day where God's going to put a full court press on sin, wickedness, and evil. And those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they're going to catch it all as well. I don't say that to beat anybody up. I don't apologize for that truth either. The day of the Lord is a day of reckoning. It's a day of reckoning. Now notice the metaphors he uses in the text. Two metaphors. The first one is that of a thief. He says the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Jesus even confirmed this in Matthew 24. A thief doesn't announce his coming. Yeah, let me go on, let me go on Instagram and put a selfie up. I'm coming. Let me go on Facebook and post it. Let me send out a tweet. Let me interrupt the news and announce, no, 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 no. The day of the Lord is, is coming like a thief in the night. It'll come unexpectedly. So it'll come like a thief. But the other metaphor is that of a pregnant woman, and you'll see this in a second. But he, he goes on in verse 3 and says, while people are saying there is peace and security. Ah, don't miss that. You know what he's saying? This world's anthem is peace and security. What the world cries out for is peace and security. Now we know that's not biblical peace. Here's, here's, here's how some of that looks. Hey Amen. Just do you. Yeah, li li live your truth. 
Do, just do your thing. Don't, don't, don't impose your beliefs on me. Because what I believe is for me is for me. I, I'm a good person. God has to let me in. How arrogant of that, by the way. How is it that we are sinners trying to define good? You, you, you see how stupid that sounds? I'm a sinner and I'm trying to define good. Only God is good. Only God is good. And so, while people are saying there is peace and security, in fact, in Jeremiah, there, there's a line in Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, where it says, people are saying, peace, peace, and God says, and there is no peace. Here's the bottom line. The world is living in this reality, not even, not even expecting God to invade their world. He says, while people are saying peace, and there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them. Sudden, immediate, at once, out of nowhere. Here's the metaphor. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Now, I got three, three girls. Hello, pray for me, please. Every last one of them, when we found out we were pregnant with them, the doctor said, here's a due date. And I stand before you with utter confidence, none of them beautiful princesses was born on, the, on, that, on that due date. None of them. None of them. Listen to me. When that baby's ready to come, mama ain't nothing you can do about it. And when he cracks that sky to judge, it's already too late. The Bible says, and they will not escape. Another way of translating this is, they will certainly not escape. If you've been married longer than two weeks, just keep looking at me so one of my know I'm talking, talking about you. Conflict is inevitable. If you've been in any kind of relationship at any given moment, friendship, family relationship, conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. And let's just be honest. We've all have been guilty of throwing jabs in conflict. Don't leave me up here by myself. We've all have been guilty of dishing it as well as being injured by it. And let's just go even further. We've been guilty at even giving people the silent ministry. But just because you're silent doesn't make the issue go away. And in fact, it makes it worse. You still have the issue on the table. And that's not going anywhere until you deal with the issue. I, with gentleness and love, say this hard reality for us. Some of us treat God that way. God has been speaking to you, pressing in, leaning in, leaning in, leaning in. There's been counsel after counsel, wisdom after wisdom, prayers after prayers. And for some of us, we say, I don't want it. But I came to tell you lovingly this morning, 
you still got the issue of accountability before God on the table. Just because you suppress it, just because we, get, we turn a blind eye to it, doesn't mean the issue is going away. The issue is that we are sinners in need of the grace of God. And if I choose to reject him, the issue of judgment is still on the table. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 2. We would do ourselves a good service to know it. Judgment day is coming. Paul says, not only that judgment day is coming, he also says, number two, embrace it, be in the right family. Embrace it, be in the right family. Look at verse four. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Ah, oh, it's interesting. You read the text real slowly. He's shifting now. The focus now is on the believer. He's making the distinction between the unbeliever, that's the world, those who don't know Jesus, and those who do. He says, but you are not in darkness. You know what it means to be in darkness here? It means to be lost. It means to be spiritually blind. It means to be uh, not saved. It's the idea of a, of a dead man walking. Those who do not know Jesus Christ were spiritually dead. We're spiritually dead. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Interesting, the unbeliever is going to be totally surprised when the day of the Lord comes. But for the believer, we're not. Why? Because we are in the grip of his hand. Colossians chapter 1, 13 and 14, Paul is speaking to followers of Jesus when he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's why he says in verse 5, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, or of the darkness. I love what one scholar says, look at it with me on the screen. He says that Paul placed the whole humanity in two camps. The lines are drawn sharply and no middle ground is contemplated. Christianity is not a religion in which one can dabble. It is not possible to hedge the bet by belonging to both the church and another religious group. One is either of the light or in darkness. There is no in-between group. Either I'm of the light or I'm in the darkness. Now, this raises a question. What are we believers to do? If you're saved, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what are we to do? You've asked great questions on a Sunday morning. Let me give you two quick thoughts here. Number one, stay awake. Stay awake. Verse 6, he says, so then let us not sleep as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. Ah, oh, let us not sleep. Now, he's not talking about literal sleep here. The sleep here is spiritual. It has to do with being morally and spiritually disengaged. Let me say it again. To be asleep here means to be morally and spiritually disengaged. The world doesn't give one thought to the true and living God. 
The world doesn't give one thought about pleasing their Lord. The world doesn't. But he says, so then let us not sleep as others do. That's what the world does, but that shouldn't be the follower of Jesus Christ. But let us keep awake and be sober. To keep awake means to be alert, means to be alert. It's a picture of a watchman guarding his post in darkness. He cannot afford to fall asleep or else he puts his life at danger and others' lives at danger. And likewise, we exist in a very dark world. We cannot afford to fall asleep on the post that God has given us. And one of the problems today when it comes to the breakdown of the family is far too many men have fallen asleep and walked away from their responsibility. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. But somebody say, stay awake. He says, be sober. That is, be under the influence of God. Be self-controlled. Be filled with moral and spiritual urgency of the hour. Be faithful and serving the Lord at all times. That's why Paul reiterates this in verse 7. For those who sleep sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. You know, he's associating, okay, if you literally sleep, typically sleep is done at night. You know, when people get drunk, when they, they want to get wasted, typically it's at night. And the, the, the point here remains, those who operate in darkness have no sense of what it means to be spiritually awake and sober. That's what he's getting after. So he says, stay awake. But the second implication and challenge that Paul gives is remember. Somebody say remember. Verse 8, the first part of verse 8, he says, But since, speaking to the believer, we belong to the day, let us be sober. I was so blessed by this. And when I looked at the Greek word and belong here in this text, it has to do with being purchased, being bought. We have been bought with the price. Paul was saying another, 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 another letter. He wrote that we have been bought with the price. Glorify God in your body. Because our bodies is a temple of the Holy Ghost. We should glorify him with it. So he says, we belong to the day. Let us be sober. Let us operate under his control. But not only remember who you are, but remember how to live. What does he mean by this? Look at the text. Having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Ah, this is classic Paul. Paul talks about this issue in other places. Put on, put off. It's a metaphor of putting on clothes. So when he says having put on, it is, it's, it's, it's a conscious, deliberate decision that I make moment by moment that I'm choosing to be clothed with spiritual attire. That I'm making the choice every moment of my life to not leave the house spiritually naked, but spiritually covered. He says, having put on, that I made the deliberate decision. But what are these clothes? What are these clothes? Look at the text. Look at the text. First item is the breastplate of faith and love. Oh, you read Ephesians 6, if if you've read your Bibles, where Paul talks about the great armor of God and what we need to have on when it comes to this spiritual warfare, this spiritual battle. So when he talks about the breastplate here, it's the idea of something that covers the vital organs. It covers me. It protects the most important things, the most important things that I need to live. And so he says the breastplate, here it is, of faith. Stop right there. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God. We walk by faith and not by sight. I cannot experience God unless I live a life of faith. Not performing, not punching the clock, but leaning in and trusting God. The greatest form of protection that I have is walking by faith. I don't have enough money to meet, to meet, the, to meet the needs. Walk by faith and trust God and do your part. I don't know how I'm going to make it through. Well, trust God and believe him. God specializes in showing himself strong. I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. Can somebody say amen? amen? That protects me. Because let me just say it. Life is going to knock us on our backside. We need to be people that's anchored. Anchored with faith in the Lord. The breastplate of faith, but also the breastplate of not only faith, but then he says love. Love is the highest virtue. When I walk by faith and not by sight, when I genuinely walk with the Lord, my life is a life motivated and dominated by love because I love the Lord. I want to love him. I want to love others. I want to, I want to, I want to do everything that I can to, to maximize his love in my life. So that's the breastplate faith and love but notice the other piece of equipment here he says and for a helmet the hope of salvation mm. a helmet protects the head salvation secures us the hope of salvation now I love this because 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 the world's definition of hope is cheesy corny and it's lame it's lame it's superficial. It's based upon circumstance. Well, I hope I make it. I hope I get the, the, the promotion. I hope the things work out. I hope the Raiders make it to the playoffs. I hope, I hope, I hope. Lame, corny, that kind of hope is superficial and is based upon circumstance, and that's not going to sustain any of us. But that's not biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation in the life to come. Why? Because my Savior, the Lord Jesus, has finished what he accomplished on the cross, and he's seated at the right hand of God. And so my faith is anchored in that truth. So when he says a hope of salvation, it's the, it's the security that salvation brings. And let me, just, let me just say this. I didn't say this in the morning service, but let me just say this. Salvation in Scripture is threefold. There's a past reality. In other words, there's a point in my life where I surrendered my life. I turned from my sin and I embraced Jesus Christ by faith. And let me just say this. If you don't have a conversion story, you are not saved. Did you hear what I said? If you don't have a conversion story, that is, that Jesus took me to the mat. He confronted me. He changed my life. I may not remember the date, I may not remember the time, but I do know that I once was lost, but now I'm found. So salvation is a past reality. So if you don't have a conversion story, you're not saved. Salvation is also a present reality. That is, I'm being saved. That, that, that I should look more like Jesus on March 20th than I did January 1st. 
that he's working on me, that he's working on me, that he's working on me, that he's working. He's, he's, he's molding me and shaping me. There's, there's seasons of ouch, there's seasons of yes, there's seasons of oh, there's seasons. But he's doing it because he loves me. Salvation is past, salvation is present, but salvation is future. And oh, he's going to make all things new. Oh, no more weeping, no more crying, no more struggles with sin, no more doctor's appointments, no more, no more. That's yet future. Paul says, put on that helmet. The security of what salvation brings. Philippians 1, 6, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. What God starts, he finishes. So what does this mean for us as followers of Jesus? Let me, by way of application, ask you several questions. This is going to frustrate some of y'all trying to write notes, but I'm going to click through these and just, just receive this. Who do I belong to? The day or the night? Saved or not saved? Am I currently living my life in the dark or in the light? Mm. Am I spiritually sober or spiritually drunk? Mm. Am I daily seeking to be spiritually dressed for battle or are my battle clothes left at home? If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, are you concerned about the reality of the coming judgment of God? Do I assume things about my life knowing tomorrow is not promised? Listen to me, listen to me. I plead with you, I plead with you, I plead with you. We cannot afford to be asleep on this. You can go to sleep watching your Netflix shows and all that, but this one you cannot afford to be asleep on. This one right here you cannot afford to be asleep on. We have to make the decision to choose to be in the right family. And the right family, and the only family, is the family of God. And listen to me, the world is not God's children. Did you hear me? The world is not God's children. We all are made in the image of God, but being made in the image of God and being his child is two different things. We become his child when we say yes to Jesus Christ. So Paul says, embrace it. Be in the right family. And that right family is the family of God. Don't live for the moment, live in light of his coming. Know it, embrace it, and thirdly and finally, receive it. Receive it. Encourage one another. Now notice this encouragement here. Oh, this is some good stuff here. Paul says, number one, there's no wrath for the believer. Verse 9. For God is not destined, one version says appointed. God has not destined us or appointed us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this day of the Lord is not directed towards those who have said yes to Jesus. It's only directed towards those who have willingly chosen to reject the message of the cross. The wrath of God is hovering over those who have not said yes to Jesus Christ. 
And that's why he says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not workspace in context, the flow of the text. This is speaking of being totally rescued on that great day. That we're not destined for wrath. Thus he gives a second thought here where he says, talks about the work of Jesus. Look at verse 10, who died for us, for us, that's in our place, that's in our place. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live. Pastor Brett talked about this last week, that, that those, two, that, oh, those, those two words, that should be a shirt. With him. Ah, church. Whether you're physically here or if you already died and going on, we are with him. With him. Because of Jesus. I love what one says, that our life is due entirely to his death. And the kind of life he has won for us is a life lived together with him. Paul would say, for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. And that's why he says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. I love that. Encouraging and building, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture of comforting and strengthening one another. And I love this. The church at Thessalonica, they're already doing it. What would it look like for us to be a church that simply focused on encouraging and building, encouraging and building? We would be a force for the kingdom of our great God. Encourage one another. So no matter what we are dealing with on this side of heaven, encourage and build each other up with the truth of the coming of Christ. Aren't you glad that we have a living hope in Jesus? Aren't you glad that when we look at the news and all the chaos and the problems and everything that we all are dealing with personally and collectively in this nation and world, I am so glad that God is not taking Maylocks over this mess. I am so glad that my Savior is calm, cool, collected, running the universe with his feet up. So encourage one another. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Let me give you three challenges or three suggestions. Number one, don't be deceived. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't stress that enough. Please, please, don't be deceived. Don't, don't, don't run away from people who operate in First Opinions chapter six, verse two. People who just live their lives based upon their own way of thinking. No, 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 no. Don't, don't listen to the, this world to get you into a lot of trouble. My mom used to say to me, "Watch the company you keep." She said, "Boy, you will become who you hang around." Show me your friends and I'll show you where you really are spiritually. Don't, don't be deceived. Day of accountability is upon us. And we need to take that seriously. The second challenge I want to give to us is this. We must be serious about our walk with Christ. We must be serious about our walk with Christ. It's time to get off the spiritual applesauce 
and get to some steak and potatoes of the word. Especially for those of us who've been saved for a very long time, but spend very little time in this. Come on, man. God has purpose written all over you. God has purpose written over every one of you. You, you wasn't a mistake. Your mom and daddy may not have planned you, but God called you to be here. Psalm 139 tells me that I'm fearfully, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. So you have purpose written over your life. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not a defeated foe. You are who God says you are. God has done so much in your life for you not to sit on, your, on a lazy boy and not do anything about the purpose that he has over you. So it's time to grow. It's time to grow. It's time to get in this book. We shouldn't need a, a pastor or, 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 or worship leader to pump us up. We should come here because we're grateful for God. Let's take our walk seriously. Let's spend time in his scripture. Let's Let's engage in growing together. Let's share our faith. Let's pay attention to the passions and dreams on your heart. Let's get after trusting God, the God of more. Stay awake. Don't be deceived. We must be serious about our walk with Christ. Thirdly and finally, going home on this one. Know where you stand with God. Know where you stand with with God. Here's the question, the million dollar question that never, ever, 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 ever gets old. Have you said yes to Jesus? Everything hinges upon this. Eternity hinges upon this question, the answer to the question. Have you, have we said yes to Jesus. Well, well, I grew up in church. No, 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 that's not what I'm asking. Have you said yes to Jesus? Well, 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 well I'm a good person. That's irrelevant. Have, but, but, but my grandmama, no, nobody's calling you to live off your grandmama's faith. That's not going to get you into heaven anyways. No, 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 no. Have you said yes to your Savior? The one who stepped into human history lived a perfect life, help me Lord, was flogged 39 lashes with a cat of nine tails, carried an almost 200-pound cross up a hill called Golgotha. He was laid there with a rivet back and he stretched out his hands and they didn't put the nails through his hands here. They put it through the bone here. You ever hit your funny bone? That's the nerve. He clenched thinking about you. And when they put him in the, in the post, all his bones in his body became disconnected and he had to struggle to breathe. And he was thinking about you. And all the while, the wrath of God was pouring down on him. And all the while, he refused to come off the old rugged cross because he was thinking about the folk here at Shadow Hills Church. 
So have you trusted Jesus? I was preaching, I was preaching at a church in the Caribbean. Yes, I was suffering for the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Black sand beaches and everything. However, in the church, it was no air condition. It was 90 degrees. And my wife was laughing at me every single night at this revival. I had to bring a, a towel, not a little hand towel, like a towel, like you take a shower. Sweating. And I saw people walk five miles to church to hear the gospel. But yet we want to go to Bedside Baptist where Bishop Pillow is our pastor. How dare us Westerners. And never forget, never forget, after, after the service, after the service, after the service, every service, the, the host that had us, who was a mentor to my father, Pastor Walford, who was in his late 70s, I'm bone tired every single night. Uh, 90 degrees will suck the life out of you, especially indoors. But every night he stood there after the message went forth, and he had tears streaming down his eyes, and he, he would say simply, will you come to Jesus? Will you come to Jesus? I make my appeal to you. Church, will you come to Jesus? Will you come to Jesus? Don't live for the moment. Live in light of his coming. Know it. Embrace it. Receive it. Come to Jesus. We have friends here that will meet you right here up front. Make a beeline to the cross. This is your opportunity to step out in faith. I don't care if you feel uncomfortable. He was uncomfortable for you on a cross. Come to Jesus. This could be your last sermon you'll hear. And as the way life goes, this could be the very last breath we breathe. Come to Jesus. Why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? And there'll be friends up here to pray with you, to challenge you, to encourage you. <laughs> if you're already a follower of Jesus, amen, praise God. We all are in this struggle together. We've all been guilty of falling asleep spiritually, not really being engaged as much as we should, not seeking the Lord as much as we should. And, and that's okay. That's okay because today is a new day. It's a day of grace. It's a day of grace. We've got a new batch today. It's a day of grace. And so I plead with us. You're saved. Praise God. Renew. It's, it's okay to renew our commitment. Remind yourself of what, life, what matters most. Pay attention to the promptings of the Spirit of God. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, here's your moment to turn from our sin and embrace what Jesus Christ has done for you, the Bible calls it, by faith. After I pray, you may respond. Holy Father, you have spoken. Holy Father, you are able. And Holy Father, you are good. We all are in need of the grace of God. Monday's coming. It's a sobering reality. But if we trust you as Lord and Savior, we won't have to experience that, that wrath. We'll experience what it means to live and move and have our being in you. So in this holy moment, we ask you, Lord, to help us to respond appropriately. In your name we pray. And the church said, Amen. Amen.